This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Bill Hemmer. This is Hemmer Time. Steve Cortez, Senior Advisor, Trump Campaign. Welcome to the podcast this week, sir. Thank you for having me. Where does the race in your mind stand today? Uh, you know, here's my honest assessment is that it is basically a toss up. It is a jump ball in the battleground states that matter. And we see that in most public polling, not all, but if we look at, at polling averages, um, we see that the, the battleground states, and if you use, I think Real Kirpathis does the best job of compiling polling averages. So we take out some of the aberrant polls. And if we look at those states, we see that uh, all of the races are tight. They have all of them essentially leaning at least toward Joe Biden. Our internal polling shows sort of the opposite. I mean, meaning that they're tight, but leaning slightly our way. Um, so, look, my honest view is that, that it is winnable from here for either side. Now, I love our momentum because I think regarding polling, what matters to me more than the actual number on the poll is the, is the movement. I think the trajectory is extremely important. And on that score, uh, there's a lot of momentum behind the Trump campaign. So I think there are really good reasons for us to be optimistic, uh, but there's no cause for any kind of complacency. And all of us in the campaign uh, are acting as if we're down, even if we don't necessarily believe that we're down, we're acting like it so that we can grind and work for voters. One thing from a Fox News poll I would point out to you that I think is fascinating and perhaps telling, we won't know until election day, um, is that Fox News, like a lot of uh, polls, ask people who do they think is going to win. And I think that's important rather than asking for their own vote is there is I, I believe it's, it's reasonable to suggest that there is a reluctance of people to say they're going to vote for Donald Trump because of the unfortunate cancel culture that's so pervasive in our society. Um, there can be sanctions against people, social work sanctions, otherwise, for saying they support this president publicly. So I think that there's probably I don't want to rely on this in terms of the campaign and our tactics, but I think it's reasonable to uh, to posit that there is a certain Trump reluctant voter out there. And I think the way polling perhaps can flush that out is by that question of who do you think is going to win? And the reason I bring it up regarding the Fox News poll is early in the year before the coronavirus hit this country early in the year on that question per Fox News polling, big majority of the people said Donald Trump was going to win. Uh, this summer, then it tightened all the way into a tie. It was 45, 45 with 10% undecided on who is going to win in the most recent poll, which Fox news published over the last weekend, it widened out to a nine point lead for president Trump uh, on who people think is going to win. So that I think is a, is a reason to be encouraged. And I do believe that that poll probably reveals some of those hidden Trump oh. voters uh, who are out there. But again, I'm not going to act like it. We've got to we've got to grind and hustle and earn every vote. So you gave a lot in that answer. But at the beginning, you said this is a jump ball. Either side can win. You believe that. Right. And I and I do believe that. Now, again, I think. Can I tell you why? Can, be- can I ta- can I tell you why I asked that? Because you mentioned a Fox News poll. Sure. I had another one from about a week ago. It's a national poll that shows Joe Biden with a five point lead. And the margin of error within that poll is 2.5 percentage points, which means if you move the line both ways, theoretically, statistically, you could have a dead heat. 
In 2016, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, which you could argue is a national poll itself, by 2.1%. If our poll is right, nothing has changed. Well, and by the way, if nothing changes, we win again, right? I mean, you know, again, too, of course, national polls, I think, are an indicator that we pay attention to because we want to know how we're doing nationwide. Uh, But we also know that the election is not decided by a national poll, right? We are a country of states, and the Electoral College determines the winner. So, you know, I think it's in terms of polling, pay attention to the national polls, but in terms of what's really predictive or, or likely to be predictive are the battleground state polls. And there in the battleground states, you know, again, and look, I'm sure uh, President Trump wouldn't like me saying it's a jump ball. He probably wants me to say, no, we're dominating these states. Uh, and I think we absolutely have a chance to. I think the momentum is moving our way. I think as the economy continues to accelerate, as the virus risk continue to become more manageable, um, I think there's a chance that we can dominate these states uh, over the next seven weeks with the momentum that we have right now. But I'm just trying to be very honest, if I can take off my partisan hat for a moment. I think if you look at these states, most of them, the ones that matter, are essentially toss-ups. You know, I mentioned the real clear polling average. The state of Florida, six weeks ago, they had Joe Biden up eight points. They now have Joe Biden up one point. So pretty dramatic narrowing. I think it's why Joe Biden, smartly for him, uh, decided to go to Florida, but not smartly for him when he gets out on the campaign trail and when he's off the cuff, when he's not reading off the teleprompter, he does some pretty cringeworthy things, as he did in Florida when he played Despacito on his phone uh, as his method of Hispanic outreach. So I think he's compelled to campaign, compelled to get live in front of the people. What What is fortunately going to work in our favor in the Trump campaign is that the more he does, number one, I think the people are going to see that his agenda is far too radical for them. Uh, but number two, I think they're going to see a guy, if I can use a sports metaphor, a boxer who no longer belongs in the ring. And um, because of the tightness of the race, he can't just run the clock out here. He cannot, he cannot just stumble across the finish line of this election. He's okay. compelled to get out. The more he gets out, the better it is for us. L- let me come back to this overall topic here with a piece from the Wall Street Journal earlier in the week. But I want to talk about early voting here because I think it's an undercovered story thus far, but it is happening right. now and it's happening in some of these battleground states. Uh, I am talking to you on Thursday afternoon, the 17th of September. And as of today, Wisconsin is a state that begins mailing out ballots today. Minnesota starts doing it tomorrow, Friday, and then Michigan begins on Saturday, September 19th. I should also make mention that several days ago, Pennsylvania started mailing out ballots. And then 10 days prior to that, it was North Carolina. You you see what I'm setting up here now? These are hotly contested states where it appears that Trump and Biden are running neck and neck. What is your view of the mail-out ballots based on the party preference of those who have requested right. a ballot? Sure. No, listen, the, the, based on the party preference, and we don't know that every Democrat who requests a ballot is going to vote for Joe Biden. You know, I would hope we're going to get some of them. I think we will lose almost no Republicans in those battleground states because this president is so popular within his own party. Um, but I'll be the first to concede, no, given no, the numbers that no are— No Republican voters? Is that, that, that includes the suburbs that shifted I, so well, dramatically I, two I, years ago? I don't say no voters, but I think it's going to be very small. I mean, we, we poll unbelievably well among Republicans. So, no, will we lose some? Sure. Uh, but I don't think anywhere near to the degree of Democrats we can draw— Uh, from the other side to vote for us. But listen, Bill, I'll be the first to admit those numbers so far don't look good for us. Uh, However, they didn't look good in 2016 either. I mean, we now know this, right? Uh, Donald Trump was losing the election in 2016, 
fairly substantially until Election Day. And then we absolutely dominated Election Day um, to to get the victory. I wouldn't be shocked if a similar scenario is unfolding right now. We won't know, of course, until we can look back retrospectively. But as, as you know, as hard as I'm working for the president, I'm also willing to be honest about numbers. And it looks right now, it looks like in terms of early mail-in voting, uh, we are probably trailing. But again, we were in 2016. I believe like then we are going to absolutely rally and romp on Election Day. And I'm using those numbers, by the way, as a tactic to try to motivate our people, to make sure that our people are ready to vote, um, whether they vote in person early, vote by mail, or in fact, on Election Day. One okay. thing we do know from our yeah. internal polling is a lot of our people insist on voting in person. So, uh, you know, in that regards, we're just at a disadvantage for mail-in voting from the get-go. So, just go back to North Carolina. I mentioned they started mailing out their ballots to those who had requested an absentee ballot on the 4th of September. So that's been happening for, what, a week and a half, can we say? Was that 10, 12 days from earlier? Right, uh, I was looking right. at a website, Steve, and the requests from Democrats, I would say, are at 50%, and the request from Republicans is at 19%. Now, there's a larger number of unaffiliated that is also to be considered in that. But just looking at the Democratic margin compared to Republicans, it's it's two to one, if not higher. Right. Well, and again, Bill, listen, it it would not shock me. You know, we won't know until uh, we look backward uh, retrospectively, but it would not shock me if we are losing now, if we are losing uh, based on mail-in voting, but then ultimately prevail in a very, very big way. On Election Day. Um, And to some degree, though, again, because of what happened in 2016, that doesn't necessarily I mean, look, I'm always concerned. You know, I always want to, again, act as if we're losing because that's how we hustle and win. Uh, But I but I don't want to also be uh, frightened by those numbers because we we have the the template of 2016, which I think is playing out again now. I I think that's a reasonable thesis to to suggest. And again, part of why I say it's not just my intuition, but because we know from our internal polling of the campaign that our people generally are very, very insistent that they are voting in person. Do you Um, think, however, with the virus, that more people will be inclined to vote by mail? I I think we can probably say that fairly, safely by now. Sure, right. And if so, does that turn an outcome entirely on its head in a battleground state that's a 50-50 vote? Sure, it's possible. Yeah, no, listen, it's possible. It's it's definitely one of the things, you know, so many things are unusual about 2020, right? It, politically and otherwise, obviously, don't need to tell anybody out there that uh, reality. Uh, but it, it is possible that, uh, you know, I think it's reasonable to suspect, you know, much larger mail-in voting, and, and that may ultimately be decisive. By the way, that's one of the reasons why we've been so insistent as a campaign that while absentee voting by mail is absolutely fine and appropriate, and we encourage people uh, to do that if they can't get to the polls or don't want to for health reasons. However, that's also why we've been so adamantly against universal vote by mail, uh, which we think, number one, invites a lot of fraud uh, because of the inaccuracies of the voter rolls, and number two, we also think that it could invite a chaotic count uh, by trying to do universal vote by mail. So there's an important distinction there that a lot of folks in corporate media, unfortunately, have tried to conflate. We believe in absentee voting. We don't believe in universal vote by mail. Um, But to your point, the absentee voting, yeah, it could be determinative. Um, We'll see. In a way that we have never seen before, too, in a a 50-50 toss-up state. You mentioned in-person voting. We, what are we, 46, 47 days away when viewers uh, and listeners get a chance to hear our conversation. 
It would appear in some of these states, like Florida, Texas, and Arizona, where COVID spiked in July, they seem to be pushing those numbers back down in the other direction, which certainly is good news. Uh, It tends to pop up in other states at the same time. We've mentioned the Dakotas uh, in the last couple of weeks also. What is the calculation within the campaign? If you have 46 or 47 days to try and flatten the curve, and who knows what happens with the virus? Maybe it spikes again in places where these are battleground states, or maybe it stays low. What is the conversation like within the headquarters of hoping for higher turnout in person if people become more comfortable the further away they are from the actual spike of the virus? Sure. Well, I will tell you this. While none of us can know the future, obviously, uh, that's one thing this virus has certainly taught us is that the forecasting business is difficult in just about any sphere of life, but it's particularly difficult when it comes to medicine. And, uh, and a lot of people, a lot of very smart people have been very wrong many times during this virus. But what we do know right now is on a national level, the virus metrics are trending in the right direction. Things like deaths, ICU admissions are trending downward nationally. There are spots where that's not the case, but nationally they are. And to your point about connecting into politics, and I don't want to be crass here because we care first and foremost, of course, about the health of every American, but there is going to be political ramifications to this. Uh, Regarding battleground states where it had recently spiked, particularly Florida and Arizona, which you mentioned, those two states could perhaps be be the deciding states, you know, either together or separately for the entire election. Um, The virus had spiked in terms of cases. Uh, It is now receding significantly. I mean, it's really accelerating downward, meaning downward toward health. Um, for those states. So number one, we're just hopeful because we want the Arizonans and Floridians to be healthy. But number two, as as political operatives, of course, we're reassured. Both of those states have fairly large elderly populations. We want those people to believe that they can safely uh, in-person vote and and go to the polls for President Trump. So uh, we like the trend, number one. Number two, what we are doing, we we don't control these elections, of course. And effectively in the United States, we have 50 different elections. I mean, there, there is not really a national controlling election here. But what we are doing is encouraging as much as we can, uh, those states to make it as safe and easy as possible for in-person voting as well. Lots of these states have early voting. We're really encouraging our people. We're doing a lot of this through our digital outreach. We're encouraging them that if they want to vote in person and they live in a state that allows in-person early voting, please go do that. You know, avoid the crowd of election day, avoid the line, avoid if you're worried about risks of being in a crowd, you know, avoid all of that and go do in-person early voting. So that's one of the ways that we're trying to do it. And then we're also just talking to local officials and saying, hey, please modify your, your in-person procedures. For example, uh, establish more sites uh, so that there aren't the, the crowds aren't as intense on Election Day. Now, ultimately, we can't decide that, but we're encouraging. I'm Bill Hemmer. You're listening to Hemmer Time with Steve Cortez from the Trump campaign. Our conversation continues in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Back with Steve Cortez. And Steve, thank you for your time. The Cook Political Report, I follow it carefully. I think you do as well. Moved Arizona to lean Democrat. Do you see it that way? No, I, you know, I view it as a toss-up. Uh, I really do. I, you know, I don't view it as lean so Democrat. So why, why did they move it then? 
Yeah. Well, listen, because I, I, I will say this again, if I, if I look at the real clear politics polling averages for Arizona, I actually don't have the number at the top of my head. However, I do know it has shown a lot of narrowing. It still shows Biden up, uh, but it is moving in our direction. So momentum to me is, is even more important than the outright numbers uh, regarding public polling. But look, Arizona has changed substantially as a state. You know, we all know that the demographics has changed. It has become a, a far less red state. It used to be as red as Alabama, you know, a few decades ago. Um, and it is now a state that perhaps leans generally very slightly red. Uh, an influx of people from from blue states, from California, Illinois, other places have, have very much changed the political landscape of Arizona. So, but look, we won it last time. And here's the main reason I believe we're going to win it again. I think there's a few reasons, but the main one, I believe, is how well we're doing with Hispanic Americans. And that, that Fox News poll that we've cited, it showed us nationally at 41% among Hispanics. Uh, that's a pretty incredible number. I think we're actually doing better than that. But if I were to accept a 40% number on a national basis, that makes the electoral map really prohibitively difficult for Joe Biden. And, and the reason is, it, it, in all likelihood, those two states I just mentioned, Arizona and Florida, it probably puts them in our camp. Now, again, I'm not going to assume that, but our outreach to Hispanic Americans has really been working. And it's because we have a record uh, to stand on with Hispanic Americans. And in Arizona, well, if, of course, if you're right, critical. If you're right, Florida, Arizona, Nevada, you could argue, goes into the equation as well here. Uh, but you won, three right. and a, you won Arizona by three and a half points uh, in 2016. And if, if you're talking yeah. about battleground states that are super close, that— that would be a significant shift of close to four percentage points if Joe Biden were to win that. And that's sure. That's a big shift. No, listen, if we were to lose Arizona, I'll be the first to tell you that, you know, we, we're probably going to have a bad a bad election day. Uh, again, I don't think we're going to lose it. But no, you're right. Uh, uh, that is that is a margin that you would expect to protect. And okay. I think we will, but we're sure going to work for it. We're about a week and a half away, I do believe, on the calendar from debate number one. Are you working with the president on that, or has that been outsourced to a different part of the campaign? No, I am involved. And how much debate prep have you gotten into so far with him? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not at liberty to share all of the details, but I will tell you this. Uh, it's an ongoing thing. Uh, sometimes it's very intense and, you know, and, and scheduled for a long time. Sometimes it's, it's quick snippets of uh, things, but on a daily basis, there is at least some kind of debate prep, uh, going on for the president, because we think it's going to be just so critically important. Joe Biden, although we flushed him out of his basement a little bit, let's face it for the most part, he has still stayed hidden away from the American people. He has rarely faced the scrutiny of the press. He hasn't at all faced the scrutiny of the American people uh, in town hall type environments yet. And so we think that that kind of transparency is going to be critically important uh, in that first debate on September 29th. And the president's going to be fully ready. Yeah. Do you think that Joe Biden has a lower hurdle to climb that day? You know, I do. And uh, yeah, I'll be the first to admit that. And look, I, so I if he comes Biden, out, so if he comes out and has 90 minutes of a good performance, does that change the calculus for this election in November? It could. It could. Yeah, we'll see. Um, and I, I will tell you this, you know, because I'm involved in debate prep, I've literally watched every minute of Joe Biden's debates throughout his career, <laughs> more, more than I care to watch. Uh, and but I will say this, uh, you know, through most of his career, honestly, pretty good debater. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I don't want to lower the part too much because I've watched it all. And I will tell you that most of the time he's a pretty good debater. Now, we also know that the Joe Biden of 2020 is not the Joe Biden who ran for president way back in the 1980s. He's a very, very different guy. Who's going to show up on debate night? We'll see. 
last question, and I told you I would bring this to you um, a short time ago, and I want to get to it at the end because this could be where things drop. I mentioned earlier in our conversation this article in the Wall Street Journal that Jason Riley wrote earlier in the week. The title is, Does Trump Have a Re-Election Strategy? And then the subheader is he won't win without broadening his base of support, but that doesn't seem to interest him. He's trying to make the point that the president's trying to drive out more like-minded voters that he turned in 2016, as opposed to reaching into different pockets of America. Uh, and there right. was a there was a visit in Wisconsin that happened this week. It was west of Green Bay, uh, largely rural. Uh, it's a county where the president won with about 60 percent of the vote in 2016. Probably not a part of the country where you think he would go now. The thinking that people like Jason Riley and others are trying to express is that if you take 60 percent to 62 percent, you stand a chance of keeping the state in your column. Is that the strategy? No, look, I would tell you, and I have a lot of respect for Jason Riley. I think he's an incredible thinker and a heck of a writer. I disagree with him on this article, which I did read. And, uh, and I'll tell you why. Is that I think we can do both. I don't think it's binary here. We can absolutely excite our base. Uh, they've been thrilled on the whole with the performance of this president in office. Um, we can excite them and reach new voters. And, the, and the, the evidence I'll give you of that, you know, again, is what we talked about earlier, is Hispanic Americans. You know, we got 29% of the Hispanic vote in 2016. That was shocking to most of the political world. It was far higher than where we were polling. I, I, again, I think similar trend is going to un, unfold this time, but are, we have built on that. And again, our polling, the Fox News poll showed us at 41 percent. Most polling shows us in the 40 percent or so area nationally in some key states like Arizona. A lot of polls actually show us winning the Hispanic vote. Our internal numbers show us that as well. Not going to get complacent, but you know, those are new voters that we are reaching. And here's why we're reaching, I think. I think there's two reasons. Uh, on the one hand, they have been orphaned, politically orphaned by the Democratic Party. As the Democratic Party lurches leftward, it leaves a lot of traditionally minded voters and a lot of Hispanics fit that category. We, we as a people, we Hispanics, we tend to be culturally, religiously, politically conservative. But many Hispanics who previously voted Democratic have been left by their party as their party lurches leftward toward an AOC, Bernie Sanders type of platform that believes in things uh, like open borders and abortion until the day of birth and confiscatory taxation. So that's one reason I think we're winning new voters and Hispanics are among them. And then the second reason is our economic performance. You know, I think there's a lot of people who didn't vote for Donald Trump last time, either didn't vote at all or didn't vote for us. Um, and we have delivered tangible benefits to them, particularly working class people. You know, even despite what's happened with the China virus this year in the U.S. economy, we've gotten spectacular recent economic data. This country's roaring back to life. We know we still have work to do, but manufacturing wages uh, for August, for example, hit an all time high. Uh, retail sales just recouped. We got a number out just this week and retail sales recouped all of the of the coronavirus losses and then some a new record, all time record on retail sales. So. We're, we're roaring back to life economically. People know that. It's their kitchen table reality. And I think a lot of those folks are new voters for President Trump that we can motivate because of the results that have been produced in their in their lives. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Steve. I see this election as razor tight, 46, 47 days away, and we'll see what significant changes are in store for us over the next six and a half weeks. Thank you, Steve. You bet. Thank you. Steve Cortez, Senior Advisor of the Trump Campaign. I'm Bill Hemmer, and this is Hemmer Time. The 
Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.